Hey, Raider Nation, this is Bruce Buffer, and you're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920. It's time! Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. And here we are kicking off hour number two of the show, coming to you live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Damon Cotton, your boy Q, and joining us now on the phone lines is the newly retired general, John McClain, formerly of the Houston Chronicle. And, John, we do appreciate you as always. Still so strange to even hear and say that you are retired, but we know that uh, it's well-deserved. We definitely appreciate you. I wanted to start off talking about the Washington football team and They seem like they just can't get out of their own way, but this time, John, they're messing with the NFL and their money. $5 million in refundable deposits from season ticket holders seems like they withheld, at least according to reports, and also not giving the shared uh, amount of money to NFL owners. What is the latest and the greatest? What are you you thinking and hearing when it comes to Washington? Well, first of all, I'm retired from writing but not talking, and so I'm still (laughs) doing all my radio shows and plan to keep doing them, so I'm trying to stay on top of things, and you mentioned it, Q. When you start hitting those guys in a pocketbook, they start paying attention. Even though they're billionaires, they don't like losing money. And um, if the guy who is testifying before Congress has proof of all this that he's claiming, it could lead to Daniel Snyder finally being forced to sell the team. Now, if you're going to force somebody to sell the team, a lot of things can happen. But you got to have three-quarters majority of the owners. Now, I've never sensed that Snyder was popular, that he had any good friends among the owners. If you tried to force Jerry Jones to sell, Jerry's got way too many friends, way too many owners. He's helped make a lot of money, and that would never happen to him. But Snyder, I, I think he would go kicking and screaming, filing lawsuits. But think about it. He took over one of the greatest franchises in sports history, and he has run it into the ground. Mm -hmm. Terrible stadium, uh, mediocre team, and he's trying to get a new stadium. Does anybody think he's going to be able to get a new stadium? No way. Now, if he was going to sell the team, people might build the new owner a new stadium in the district. They want to go back where RFK Stadium used to be. Maybe they do it for somebody else, but not Snyder. And as far as Stephen Ross, people ask about the claims of Brian Flores that he offered him hundred grand mm-hmm. to tank games. Flores uh, better have proof. He says he does proof in the form of say emails, text messages, direct messages. Do it like that. And. Um, if you mess, considering how many billions the owner is going to be making from gambling, if it's out there that somebody is trying to fix games, that's another way you're hitting the owners in their wallet and hitting them with gambling. Uh, gambling, uh, what do I what I want to call it? Suspicions. Right. Instead of a gate split of sixty forty, gambling is more money Q. right and so they could end up forcing two of them out but i don't think it's going to be anytime soon and i think if they try it's a long process plus they would have lawsuits they'd be tied up in court for years 
You mentioned Brian Flores and, and the lawsuit, and, and last week, late last week, uh, Ray Horton and Steve Wilkes, they both added their names to the lawsuit, and then Mike Malarkey came out, and, and actually, I guess he did this a couple years ago on a podcast, but the audio just came out where he said he was part of a sham interview. How much does that help Brian Flores in this uh, lawsuit, if any? It is amazing to me that nobody knew about that podcast that Malarkey did in 2020, and and you know, props to whoever found it out and put it out there because everything, minority coaching prospects and their agents have said publicly or thought privately is all right there in that claim by Malarkey. Now, the Titans have denied it. Of course they would. But according to Malarkey, he was being interviewed for the job after he'd been told he'd already had it and wondered why they were going through the sham of interviewing him. And it's gotten this week a lot of people lashing out as they should. And the bottom line is you can't force an owner to hire somebody they don't want to hire, no matter how many bad decisions they make. Mm -hmm. It's their team. It is a privately held company, not a publicly held company. They have incentivized teams that, have minority coaches who move on to become head coaches with third-round draft choices. But it it is amazing what that one tape signifies about the Rooney Rule and what a sham it is. And as far as Ray Horton and Steve Wilkes, they're not going to be coaches, head coaches anymore, so why not attach your name to that lawsuit? Eventually, you're going to do good for minority coaches. And I'm not just talking about black coaches. I'm talking about Hispanics mm-hmm. like Ron Rivera, right. uh, Muslims like Robert Sala. Mm-hmm. It's all minorities. And the uh, and I think ultimately Brian Flores is going to get a lot of money. And if you're part of that lawsuit, you're going to get part of it too. Talk right now with John McClain here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. My man DeMond's got one for you. Yeah, speaking of Brian Flores, it's recently come out from Ben Volan of the Boston Globe that if Brian Flores had not filed that lawsuit, Tom Brady did his early retirement just as a plan to get to Miami and to be a Dolphin. Do you think that this back-channeling of a story, that there's any truth to it? Well, Ben Volan of the Boston Globe's a really good reporter. And he wouldn't report that if he didn't have good sources. Now, of course, Brady would deny that. But remember, Flores, part of his charges, allegations, was that Stephen Ross, the owner, wanted him to talk to a quarterback on another team illegally who was interested in coming to Miami and try to sell him. Now, a lot of people have said that was Tom Brady and that Stephen Ross was trying to do a package deal with Brady and Sean Payton, we're never going to know unless they've got proof. People can say stuff privately or publicly, but unless they have proof, others will always deny it. All right, John, now follow me down the conspiracy theory corner just a little bit. Oh, boy. Bill Belichick, he doesn't want to see Tom Brady two times a year in the AFC East, so he sends the fake accidental text (laughs) message to Brian Flores. Are you with me that this was Belichick's plan to blow it all up so he didn't have to see Tom Brady? And you probably believe in the grassy knoll, too. (laughs) (laughs) I know. With all the theories that people have out about so much today, and that's one of the things that is fun, exasperating, uh, infuriating about 
the internet and social media, anybody can cook up anything. But I kind of think Belichick didn't want to embarrass. He's embarrassed about what happened with Brian Flores. And Brian Flores threw under the rug, under the bus, sorry, poor rug, threw Bill Belichick under the bus, embarrassing him with that text message. And then he uh, attached the Texans and his longtime cohort in New England, uh, Nick Casario, who hired Lovey Smith. He's he's gone after him as well. But I don't think Bill Belichick would subject himself to that kind of embarrassment uh, uh, to keep Brady out of the out of the division, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, according to DeMond, it's it's something that's possible. Again, we're talking with John McClain here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'll tell you something that is fun, the NFL draft. It's right around the corner. It's going to be here in Las Vegas. John, from the, the moment that you started covering the NFL and the draft, how much have you seen it grow from where it was then to where it is now? Q, I didn't forget to tell you that I'm coming to spend that week with you, have I? No, you did not. Hey, come on. We got room for you. Come on with it. <laughs> <laughs> when I first started doing the draft, I think it was 16 rounds. It was more than that before I got there and started doing it. I remember when it was not on TV and the Oilers would have the Shamrock Hilton Hotel, one of the fanciest in Houston, close to our medical center, and their old offices, and they would have fans come up there and it was a huge deal. And there'd be a separate room for the Oilers. They'd have, I mean, the media, they would have a stage where people would get a call and they would say like, uh, uh, Q just got drafted first overall quarterback from Baylor. And they'd put it up there and fans would cheer or boo. And they would go through the draft like that. It took forever. And then they shortened it. Then they split it up. And when I started, that's the way it was. We sit in there, that media room, okay, what did the Cardinals do? What did the Cowboys do? Then we get interested when it was the Oilers' turn. And when they first put it on ESPN, back when ESPN was a fledgling network that had Australian rules, football, and rugby, and all kind of sports at all hours, they did the draft, Paul Zimmerman, from Sports Illustrated, Dr. Z, Howard Balzer, sports editor from Pro Football Week, I mean, uh, the Sporting News, they were the analysts, and Joel Bushbaum, the late great, greatest draft Nick I have ever seen, and just about everybody would say that, they had him on there as a guest, and they would say Zimmerman would get so angry because he'd say, okay, the Cowboys are going to take this guy. And then they take somebody else. He go, oh, they told me they were going to do this. One time, Howard Balzer said, "Paul, do you believe everything these GMs tell you?" And then they went to Joel Bushbaum, who had tape on the side of his black glasses. He had a slide rule in his pocket and a check shirt, and he was terrible on TV. And they soon dumped him for this young guy working in his parents' basement in Baltimore named Kuiper. Yep, there you go. And and the rest is history, right? Mel Kiper Jr. continues to do his thing week after week, year after year when it comes to the NFL draft. Now, John, I wanted to ask you about a rule that has been in place the last couple of years because of COVID, and that was the practice squad, how they expanded it. Do you know and have you told me before if they're going to go the old way or they're going to stick with what they've been doing? Well, the union is going to want it to be the old way, the bigger numbers, 12. And I think considering injuries, I think you should have it. It provides more jobs, 
players come and go on those practice squads. Uh, it's a constant revolving door at facilities because practice squad players. So I hope they keep the same number because a lot of those guys get opportunities to get on the regular roster, whether it's with their team or another team. Like if I'm on the Cowboys practice squad and the Packers call my agent and say, we want to sign him off the practice squad, which means I'm drawing a regular salary, not a practice squad salary, but I can say, no, I want to stay here because it's a better opportunity. So they benefit teams and a lot of guys that end up being pretty good spent time on practice squads. I remember here, uh, the Texans had a running back. They'd signed as an undrafted free agent and he didn't do squat in preseason and they cut him. Anybody in the league could add him. And then they signed in the practice squad, cut him, put him back on the practice squad. Anybody could add him. Then they moved him to the regular roster and he had to clear waivers and he played special teams. And at the end of the year, because of the injuries, he got a chance to play in two games. He looked really good. And he began, Arian Foster began the next year, and he became NFL's leading rusher and a perennial pro bowler. All right, John, you've been on the retirement tour. At the Houston Rockets <laughs> game, you shot a free throw, and you said you'd give yourself a grade of an F. If the Astros invited you to throw out the first pitch, how would you grade yourself? Well, I got I to gotta warm up. It's easier to throw a ball to a catcher, as Q knows, right. than it is to shoot a basket right before tip-off when you have players from both teams have been introduced, the national anthem's over, they're watching you, the arena's almost full, they got people lined up behind you on the court, people lined up on the free-throw line waiting to see if you're going to make it. And I, and I practiced. I bought a ball for 51 bucks, practiced my driveway for the first time in 20 years, and I went early out there and took 10 free-throw practices about an hour before the game, I made the last one. The fans there gave me a huge cheer. I didn't want to shoot an air ball. You talk about pressure. I've never felt pressure like that in movies, acting in movies, speeches, broadcasts, uh, talk shows, never like I did. If I'd have been wearing shorts, people would have seen my knees knocking. But I hit the rim, and they gave me a huge ovation because – Several didn't, like Vince Young, airball, Carl Lewis, airball, John McClain, clank. To be accurate, <laughs> be, to be accurate, DeMond, it was not an F. It was an F minus. Boom. It's right there. And, hey, that's a great way to drop the mic right there, John. Uh, I love it, man. It's well-deserved, everything you do, all the accolades, and all the uh, I see all the love that you're getting on Twitter, and it's, it's awesome. It's well-deserved. Uh, we appreciate you. You said you're not writing anymore, so uh, what's, what's up next? What you got planned now? Well, I'm doing my seventh talk show of the day, and I got one more. And uh, I've got a lot of speeches and talk shows. Ten a week is enough. And I'm going to do some freelance around the draft for the Chronicle because they haven't had time to replace me. <laughs> so I'm going to stay busy. All right. I know you will. Well, tell my friends in Central Texas I said hello when you get to talk to them. Yeah, Q, and make sure to clean up that bathroom, will you? <laughs> we got it. I got it covered Thanks. for you. Got it. Thank you, guys. <laughs> See you, John. There he goes. John McClain doing a fantastic job. Uh, still still on the grind, even in retirement, still on the grind, and I can respect that in a major way. 317 is the time. We'll come back. We'll read some of your texts. We'll get some of your calls. The question I've been throwing out there uh, on the Raider Nation listener line and also the Salmon Ash text line at 69187. 
What are your expectations for the Raiders' run game this season? And I guess you could take it a step further. We've had some people say the the run is going to set up the pass, the pass is going to set up the run. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts? What are your offensive philosophies? What are you thinking the offensive philosophies are going to be for one Josh McDaniels? We'll have a little bit of fun with it. That's what we do live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Many thanks to John McClain. Joined us in the last segment. Talked all things NFL from the Washington football team to the NFL draft. To him shooting a free throw there in Houston. All kind of good stuff with John McClain. He's always fun to talk to. Every Tuesday we talk to him about 3 o'clock. Coming up in a matter of minutes, Mike Sando from The Athletic. He'll give us a a rundown of what NFL execs, what kind of grades they give the AFC West teams for what they were able to do in free agency. A a fun piece that he put out on The Athletic that had to do with all 32 teams. So if you have a subscription to The Athletic, go ahead and check it out. It's really good stuff. And then we'll have Cover 3 come up at 4 o'clock. And uh, Eric Galco, draft prospect guru, director of personnel from the Shrine Bowl, he's going to join us at 4.30 just to talk about some... um, you know, some later round potential draft picks, guys that the Raiders could be potentially looking at coming up April 28th, 29th, and 30th right here in Vegas. Again, we're here live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Been throwing out the question to you. What are your expectations for the Raiders' run game this season? Kind of what do you think the philosophy is going to be with head coach Josh McDaniels? I love this question from Vegas Pete. Appreciate you, Vegas Pete, on the Sam and Ash text line at 69187. This is probably the best question of the day. Has anyone asked Kayla what she thinks the run game will do? I love it. I love how involved in the show Kayla is without even being involved in the show. It's great. I should text her and get an answer before the end of the show. You should. You absolutely should. You absolutely should. We had, man, we had so many people call, and we never got to his call. We were going to play it on the air. I had a guy call and give me like a three-minute just conversation, like a voicemail. He left me a three-minute voicemail talking about having Kayla on the show and how funny that was and how much people enjoyed that part of the conversation. So there you go. Kayla was a hit with the with the natives. So maybe you can ask her what she thinks about the run game. All right, I'm going to get on it. <laughs> so she, a girl who does not watch football at all. That's all right. What do you think about the run game this season? She's going to say, run, run game? What do you mean? Maybe she won't. Maybe she'll hit you with a – maybe she'll surprise you. Maybe she's been listening to the show now. Maybe she thinks, hell, I think the Raiders going to average 4.2 yards per carry. <laughs> you never know. She might hit you with that. How about Sir Whiskey Ray? He said, Q&D, I believe our run game must average at a minimum of 4.8 yards per carry for the upcoming season. If we're able to get consistent yards per carry, our offense on third down will be in short yard situations. Our playbook opens up tremendously. I'll take that all day. I'm a big believer in Coach McDaniels and what he's going to bring to both our run and passing games. Points will be scored. 27-plus points a game, I predict. That's from Sir Whiskey Ray, and that's getting close to that's getting close to, uh, to my man Gangster Raiders' 30 points per game prediction. He's been holding that. He's been holding on to that one for a couple years now. I think the last time he called, he jumped it up to even more than 30. Yeah, no, I did. I think he did, too. But it's like you, close to, like, the best, like, scoring offense in NFL history. Right, said. right, right. I think, I think he's actually got kind of close to, to 40 points, but uh, we'll stick with 30. We'll stick with 30. That's a that's lofty expectations right there because, man, sometimes those teams, the, the defense is just stingy. Just real stingy. Uh, you know, and back to Raider Mack. He called in right before we got to John McClain. I didn't really get to get into a lot of details of his call. He called in and talked about Derek Carr and him holding on to the ball. And the thing about it is 
And by no means do I need to make excuses for Derek Carr. I, I don't need to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. I mean, you can go watch the games like Raider Max said. He said, hey, you know, I checked it out multiple times. He held on to the ball. In this offense, and this was his words, in, the off, in this offense, he'll be able to dump it off to the, back, the, the running backs out of the backfield. Well, when he does that, Raider Nation gets pissed off, right? When he dumps it off to a backfield, it's like, oh, my God. He's checking the ball down. Everybody was open downfield. Right, right, right. And look, there's truth to all of it. You know, sometimes he might get rid of it and check it down a little too soon. And there's times that, hell, I sat in the press box and saw wide receivers breaking open. You hold on to it for a little bit longer. So it's kind of like the, the middle evil. If you hold on to it for a second longer or two seconds longer to allow the play to develop, like when he mentioned when he had rugs, he was looking for the deep ball. He was looking to take a shot. Offensive line didn't hold up. You know, I, and look, again, everything plays a part. You can hold on to the ball too long. You can not let the play develop too uh, long enough, and you can get rid of it quickly. The offensive line might not be blocking. I mean, everything's got to work in sync. So there's not – I don't want to point the finger and say it's just on them, it's just on them, it's just on them. The truth of the matter is, and then we'll get to Mike Sando, we know the offensive line wasn't where it needed to be at the beginning of the season, early on. The run game was not there. And the reason the run game wasn't there is because the offensive line was hold, was was blowing up no holes. Hell, we had a, t- a, a, a media session following a game where Josh Jacobs said straight up, blank, what you want me to do? I run up there and there's no holes. I mean, you were there. You were handing the mic out. He said it. He said it just like that, except for he cussed. He said, man, blank, what you want me to do? There ain't no hole. And he would tell the, the, the offensive line that. So there's, there's truth to everything that's being said. Some blame goes to D.C., some blame goes to the O-line. Some blame goes to giving up on the play too quick. Some play, some goes into believing in the play too long. It's got to be a, a, a fine line and a fine ground that you have to stay, stay committed to. Mike Sando from The Athletic, he'll join us next. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Been going fast and furious since 2 o'clock, going all the way up till 5 p.m. here on Raider Nation Radio 920 on the Say Roughness. Demon Cotton and your boy Q join us now on the phone lines to talk a little NFL free agency and some grades that were handed out for all 32 teams. This is our guy Mike Sando from The Athletic. You can find him on Twitter, at SandoNFL. And, Mike, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And I'm always intrigued by the pieces that you put out when it has to do with execs or, or others across the league that are commenting and you're gathering information. And that's what happened in this, this piece that you put out about uh, free agency. Uh, execs on the good and the bad from all 32 teams, uh, the moves and the strategies that they came up with. What what made you come up with this idea, and what you know kind of made you uh, reach out to these execs to get the information from? I've been doing it for a few years, but I just am interested in the ideas and the thoughts and and what is interesting about the teams. And if you notice, conspicuously missing from the piece is our grades. I don't do A, B, C because I think we don't really know how all these are going to pan out. There's a lot of uh, ways it could go, and sometimes it's just dependent on how the quarterback plays or. or things that are beyond the control of the the players that they're signing. But I, I like the ideas behind it, like when should a team like Minnesota be rebuilding or reloading, right? right. Uh, how is the AFC West affected by this off-season flurry of, of moves where you suddenly have Russell Wilson coming in, Devontae Adams coming in, Khalil Mack coming in, and Tyreek Hill leaving, right? I mean, these are all interesting things to talk about. And we didn't get to Deshaun Watson or any number of the other uh, moves that have 
really been unprecedented, I think, at least in recent years, for the number of marquee name players that are changing teams. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, how, how surprised are you that so many big-time names, as you mentioned, have changed locations this offseason? Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised that it was this many. You know, I think you could have seen any one of the ones that are you know, on the list. You certainly Deshaun Watson could have changed teams or Russell Wilson or, or Matt Ryan or uh, some of these others. But to have all of them go, plus Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams, I don't think anyone was really talking about those two. So we've seen more than you would have anticipated at once. And I think we are seeing teams being more willing to to make these moves maybe than they've been in the recent past. And it kind of makes the offseason almost as exciting or more exciting than the season for a lot of these teams. Right, it does. It feels like that the season never really ended. It just kept on going. It's like a big run-on sentence. You know, It just kept on, kept yeah. on going throughout the course of the year. It's been a whole lot of fun to track, that's for sure. Again, we're talking with Mike Sando from The Athletic on Twitter, at Sando NFL. So let's get into this, and let's talk AFC West. You mentioned Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. Uh, everyone thought it was Aaron Rodgers or bust, and then all of a sudden they pop up with, with Russell Wilson. What was the overall consensus on that move, and, and how does how do the execs think that Denver is going to play out with that? Yeah, I mean, Denver's clearly made the biggest improvement of any team this offseason because you go from below average quarterback to above average and maybe well above average if Russell Wilson plays well. That's the most impactful position. But I don't think there's a consensus now that Denver's going to win the division. That's interesting, right? One of the things mm-hmm. I think was pointed out in there is that if they had gotten Aaron Rodgers, they're probably the favorite to win the division. Right showing that even though both of these guys have been seen as Tier 1 quarterbacks, there's another level, right, where, where Aaron Rodgers is at that's different from the other quarterbacks. Uh, and, and so Denver made themselves a competitive team in the division, but we're not just penciling them in for the Super Bowl, which, by the way, in Seattle, Russell Wilson's got one playoff win, I believe, in the last five years. So they're relevant, but now you ratchet up the expectations. You're in a really tough division, uh, we'll see what the how the receiving core is there. The the first time head coach, right? right? There's a lot of newness there in Denver with incredible expectations. So I think it's going to be a really exciting season uh, in that division when the perceptions are one thing, but the reality still could be that hey, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, they may, they may still be the team to beat in that division even without Tyreek Hill. Right. No, exactly. And, you know, Nathaniel Hackett, you brought him up, first-time head coach. Of course, he's called plays before, but uh, how much of that went into some of the consideration and some of the conversation around Denver because he is a first-time head coach? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a, a, a big part of the unknown, right? I mean, sure, he could come in and just have it all figured out, but that's usually not the way that it works um, in the NFL. So we'll see. We'll see how good their defense is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been good, but they lose Vic Fangio. One thing Vic Fangio knows how to do is call a defense, right? Yes. You probably couldn't name three people in the league that call the defense better than Vic Fangio. So the, let's just say they get a little bit worse on defense. That's probably logical. They get a little bit better on uh, maybe a lot better on offense, but there's no guarantees. So I, I just think it's, a, I think it's a fascinating division. We haven't even talked about the Raiders no. you know, who, who added. Can you imagine adding Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones based on what they've done in their career? And that's not even the storyline the, that people are talking about in the division. Right. No, it, it really isn't. And let's go ahead and jump into the Raider conversation. Devontae Adams comes over by way of trade. Of course, Chandler Jones uh, is a free agent that they pick up and give him a nice little bit of money. They send Unique and Gakwe to the Colts. So what, uh, you know, what was the, the conversation around the Raiders and the moves that they're making with Josh McDaniels, who's not a first-time head coach, but a first-time head coach in a while? 
Yeah, I think a lot of times you bring in a new coach and there's a long run, a long, little bit longer runway, maybe a longer term outlook, but that's not the Raiders at all. Mark Davis has shown that you know they're willing to spend a little bit and there's going to be some expectations. I think it's a pretty good situation to have two star players like that added in Adams and Chandler Jones without there being as much of a buzz around that team relative to the editors, right? No one's saying the Raiders have arrived, but I think we saw last year. Look at Cincinnati. Look at the Rams. They were the fourth seeds in their conference. It wasn't like these teams were running away with it and they were uh, you know, clear Super Bowl teams. No one even had Cincinnati in it before the year. So I think there's a, a feeling with a team like the Raiders that, yeah, you're not anointing them. You're not saying they've arrived. But when you look at Cincinnati, you say, shoot, the Raiders barely lost to Cincinnati. Why not us, right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're just competitive and get in the tournament, um, there's not necessarily a team that you can't beat. Right, absolutely. We're talking with Mike Sando from The Athletic here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. Sticking with the Raiders, I wanted to ask you about Derek Carr. Uh, there's been talks about the contract extension. Uh, the, the the Raiders' front office has said they're looking for the sweet spot. Of course, Carr and his agents are going to let that thing play out or whatever. At what point do you think that they need to get this contract extension done so he can be fully invested in learning this Josh McDaniels offense? Oh, I don't think they have to do it. You know, I don't think they have to rush into a deal. There was some talk by people in the league initially that, hey, you've you've paid Devonta Adams now, you sort of are committing to Derek Carr. But I don't think that's true at all. I think they can evaluate Carr over the next year, uh, and if he is amazing, and you have to pay a top of the market deal, well, that's fine, right? It means your quarterback played amazing. Uh, at the same time, if they can find an agreement that works for both sides and you get it done that could work for them too. What's interesting to me in the league right now is you see, you know, years ago, Kirk Cousins waited it out. And now we've got Lamar Jackson kind of sitting there. He's going to make 23 million next year, whether he's healthy or not. He may not want to do a deal, right? What does Carr want to do? Cause, cause there's going to be a market for a quarterback. We just saw Deshaun Watson with 22 accusers, hasn't played in a year, wasn't even necessarily a top five quarterback in the league. He got it. He leveraged a fully guaranteed deal from a desperate team. So if you're Derek Carr with some money in the bank already, why do you need to rush into something, right? Right. No, that makes I mean, sense. he's already set for life, and the price is only going to go up. Right. No, it does. It makes a lot of sense. It's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Of course, it's topic mind uh, conversation around here on Raider Nation Radio. But, yeah, I mean, you bring up some good points that uh, if he plays his cards right, he could end up in a Kirk Cousins type situation. And I don't know who his agent is, but he's done a fantastic job. I mean, that guy is straight money. I mean, he's he's got nothing but guaranteed contracts going all the way back to Washington. I mean, what is it, like five contracts now that all been fully guaranteed? Yeah, and I believe in the next couple of years he might pay, pass Peyton Manning for career earnings. Can you believe that? Jeez. I mean, <laughs> wow, that is amazing. What a what a good agent he has, and they they worked the system. They made it work for them. I'm not mad at them at all. Again, we're talking with Mike Sando here on Unnecessary Roughness Radio Nation Radio 920. My man Demond's got one for you. Yeah, Mike. When talking around with some of these front office executives, did anyone sense? Did you get any sense from anyone after the Adams trade and then Tyreek Hill being traded to the Dolphins that the wide receiver market is going to continue to be on such a big boom? Yes, and I think there's going to be choices that teams will make now. Right? Are you really willing to go that high at that position, especially if somebody's on maybe their third contract? Let's say they're already close to 30 years old. And if the mar- but they're still highly productive, and you're thinking, okay, maybe they have two or three good years left, but what's the rest of the makeup of our roster and budget? Do we have a highly paid quarterback already? Uh, look at the college game, right? The one thing they do, everyone's in a seven-on-seven camp since they're four years old now, 
And so there's good receivers coming out. You're seeing a number of them come out and be really productive, even if they're an unfinished product like a DK Metcalf. Shoot, he, they say, oh, he DK Metcalf can only do two or three things. Yeah, right. One of them is have over a thousand yards in every year that he comes into the league, right? And and be a potential matchup consideration. So you have to, as a team, say, do we want to be over the top at that position? How many can we pay? Look at Dallas. They're upside down with a huge commitment at their running back position. It's stopping them from doing other things. They basically get rid of Amari Cooper for pennies on the dollar because uh, they're committed at the wrong uh, position of running back. So I, I do think you are going to see uh, you know, teams with difficult decisions to make and maybe be, being willing to move players that are still really good because of the financial ramifications and what you can get in return. Look at Green Bay. They're getting a one and a two in return. That's not bad for Devontae. No. No, not bad at all. And then, of course, we saw the haul that the Chiefs got for Tyreek Hill when they sent him to Miami. They Miami gave up a huge deal, but, man, they gave up a lot of draft capital to the Chiefs. So let me ask you about the Chiefs right now. I mean, they go out and they get a Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They go and get Juju Smith-Schuster. They're not going to replace Tyreek Hill, but they can add to the mix. And they have a lot of uh, salary cap space, and they have a lot of draft capital. What kind of moves do you think Kansas City is trying to make and will be making uh, to kind of re- revamp that uh, offensive attack? You know, with their draft capital, you would sure think there's a receiver they're going to like, you know, early in the draft who can contribute for them earlier. So you you would think that could be a consideration for them. And then, you know, they have to replenish the, some of their roster. That, let's face it, when you have a highly paid quarterback, those cap numbers, even if they're small in the beginning of the deal, are going to get larger. And you're going to uh, need to fill it out, fill out your roster with some role players, too. So they do have the capital to do that. Um, I think they're interesting because even though they were excellent for most of last year, uh, there were times when defenses did a good job taking away the, some of the big plays. So now you subtract, you know, really the biggest play receiver maybe in the game and Tyreek Hill, um, they were going to have to maybe reconfigure things a little bit anyway, because of how defenses were playing them, but they have to be less dynamic, right? You're not going to get somebody close to that, probably as scary as that to the defense. So, uh, They'll be fine because they have Mahomes and Andy Reid, but are they going to be the same? Right. I don't know about that. Right. You know, and it's funny. We were talking about the Raiders and their run game earlier in the show, and I was saying that the Chiefs, as many weapons as they have, it seems like so many defense gave them the run, but they just didn't choose to take it. Uh, do you think that now, maybe without Tyreek Hill, maybe they'll try to dedicate a little bit of their of their offensive explosion to the run game? Because it just seems like that they were so hesitant to even call run plays last season. Well, just remember that it's Andy Reid calling the play. So he may say that, he may try that for a while, but he is going to default to the forward pass. It's kind of, uh, you know, a quarterback can work on his footwork and, and his delivery. And then on third and seven, when uh, J.J. Watt's passing him, he is what he is, right? He goes back to what he was doing. So I just see Andy Reid as kind of, uh, especially with that quarterback, right? He's going to want to throw the ball. He, he's been that way always. If you go yeah. all the way back to when he was with the Eagles, uh, they were on the higher end of passing the ball. So, you know, they do have an offensive line that is kind of bruising, and you would think a run component would be part of it. Maybe it will be, but I think at heart, we know who Andy Reid is, and with that quarterback, he's going to want to throw the ball. Yeah, Mike, and when it gets moving on to the Los Angeles Chargers, there was a blurb in the piece that there are no risk-free players in free agency but with the with the Chargers signing J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack, could that cast a little doubt? Mack, a former MVP, but coming off of injury, and J.C. Jackson, someone who hasn't proven it outside of New England, is that could that be some doubt from some people around the league that the Chargers' big splashes are actually going to pay out? Yeah, 
The, the, the toe injury for Khalil Mack was concerning. Uh, talked to a couple of other uh, front office people about that, had concerns about it, but that is the nature of free agency. You are taking risks. At least we know, you know Khalil Mack's been a good player in the league, so I'm sure they're happy to have him. But you see a coach in his second year who you know is known for his defense, had a bad defense last year, and by his statements after the year and just the way they've handled things, you know, they felt like it was a personnel issue. So uh, these are two pieces now that you plug in. I think J.C. Jackson is really the interesting one. We know what Khalil Mack is, right? If he's mm-hmm. healthy, he's going to be a good player. Right. He's a good player. That we're not going to. If he has a good year, you're not going to be like, wow, great job, Chargers, for putting him in position, right? He's Khalil Mack. I think J.C. Jackson's the interesting test because we do know he was very good in Belichick's system, and you hired Brandon Staley because he – basically had connections to Vic Fangio, a very popular, successful defense, and he's the defensive caller. So if you are a differentiating defensive caller, shouldn't the best free agent corner come in and do just as well or better in your system, right? I think that's a fascinating addition um, for them to just see how he does in the second year of a defensive program that was not as good as expected or hoped last year. That is going to be interesting. J.C. Jackson, of course, the uh, number one free agent as far as defensive backs goes. He was the high-dollar guy that the Chargers brought in. Khalil Mack, they get by way of trade. But, um, Mike, before we uh, let you go, I did want to ask you about a guy who's still on the team that, well, drafted him originally, and that's Baker Mayfield. Are you surprised at all that he's still sitting there in Cleveland and there hasn't been any movement, even like a team like Seattle that only has Drew Locke as their quarterback right now? Uh, no, because of the salary. Remember, he has whatever, $18, 19000000 million right. uh, guaranteed, and that makes it tough, especially then you remember uh, Baker Mayfield's not happy right, with the situation. Baker Mayfield probably at this stage of his career doesn't see himself as a backup who goes to compete with Drew Locke, right? Right. So there's to me, you're in this little bit of a holding pattern where uh, everyone has to figure out who's paying that 18 million, and then what does what is Baker Mayfield expecting to do? And Baker Mayfield is not going to work with the Browns, right? I mean, he's upset with them. He's not going right. to probably uh, get with them and his agent and say, "Okay, let's finesse it this way, and I'll go to this team." He's going to probably want to get re- his release or get to make his own choices. Uh, but at that point, I do wonder. Uh, is he a backup? Remember when uh, Cam Newton was a free agent and people said, oh, I don't know, is he really a backup? Are you going to bring him in as a backup? Isn't he somebody who sees himself as a starter? Baker Mayfield way less accomplished than Cam Newton, but just through his public attitude that we've seen, does he seem like somebody who's, who is, sees himself as a, as a backup or, or what, right? I think that is a really interesting component of it as you try to put together your quarterback room and you maybe if you're Seattle you have some hopes for Drew Locke do you want uh, Baker Mayfield to come in and thinking he's the man when you don't may, maybe know that yet right? Right no that's true let me ask you this do you think that he gets released or or, or dealt even if it's at a lesser price before the draft or after? Uh, that's a great question it could be after the draft if you know, to a team that doesn't get a quarterback. Not that there seem to be a lot of good quarterbacks in this draft by the evaluators. It could happen during the draft, I suppose. Um, I'm guessing a little on that because, you know, it sort of lightning has to strike, right? You don't right. really know when it is. Uh, and it could just be one situation that we're not thinking about behind the scenes or a dynamic that changes that could make somebody want to bring them in. But that that salary part is problematic, and it's hard to – for Cleveland to be operating from a position of strength when uh, everyone knows they're in with Deshaun Watson for $230 million, right? They're not right. keeping him. No. They're not keeping Mayfield. So, so 
someone's trying to sell you a car <laughs> when everyone already has cars and you know they can't afford to lease. Right. It's going to be it's going to be repossessed next yeah. week, right? Yep. So what am I going to do? Give you 10 grand for your car? <laughs> you know, <laughs> probably not. Right. Absolutely. Well, great stuff. Great breakdown. Again, Mike Sando from The Athletic. Hey, what do you got coming out that uh, we should be on the lookout for? Um, it's a great question. Don't put me on the spot. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I may have, I may or may not have a column later this week. I'm working on something, but I'm, I'm not. Uh, we'll, we'll see going in the draft. I don't have anything exactly that I can say yet. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell him right now at Sando NFL on Twitter. That's where he tweets out all this stuff. And again, the Athletic is where you can find it. So there you go, Mike. I'll make sure to pay attention to what you got going on. It's always fantastic, and it's always great when we catch up with you. We definitely appreciate you. Okay, hey, thank you. Hey, no doubt about it. Mike Sando from The Athletic, again, does great work. You want to check out that piece. Uh, ex- uh, execs across the league on the good and bad of all 32 teams, moves and strategies. Really good stuff and just wanted to scatter shoot with him when it came to the AFC West. I think that he really broke it down. And, again, the biggest key was it wasn't his grades. It was the intelligence and the information that he got from others around the league. That's why I like the pieces that Mike puts out there. Because just like he did the quarterback tiers and we had him on, it wasn't just him sitting there at his kitchen table and this is what he came up with. It's the information he had gathered from others. That's when it's that much more exciting. Speaking of exciting, let's go ahead and give some stuff away. Why don't we, right? Caller number nine is what I'm looking for right now. Going to get you hooked up with a $50 gift card to Vegas Sports and Hockey, which is now open in Centennial. This prize is going to get you in to win a two-night stay accommodation for the draft, April 28th and 29th at the TI Hotel and Casino. Comes with parking and dinner at Gillies, Las Vegas, during the draft. You want to check it out. You want to get hooked up. $50 gift card is what I'm trying to get you laced up with right now. 702-365-9200. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. 3.53 is the time. Got to give a big shout out to our guy, Lewis. I think he hung up a little quick, though. He was so excited that he won the $50 gift card to Vegas Sports and Hockey, now open in Centennial. He forgot to hang on the line so I could tell him that the gift card is in-house. You can pick that thing up, Lewis. Shout out to you, though, Lewis. We do appreciate you being called number nine, getting in to win a great staycation, NFL Draft Day staycation, two-night stay, April 28th and 29th at TI, hotel, casino, parking, dinner at Gillies, Las Vegas. Got more of those on the way. Got them all day long here on Radio Nation Radio 920. The Morning Tailgate with Clay Baker, Heidi Fang, Hondo Carpenter, whoever's in the mix that day. Always got a lot of folks coming and going from the tailgate. JT the Brick in the midday, of course, and then myself and Damon holding it down 2 to 5 p.m. Just a little programming note for anyone just tuning in. Tomorrow, we're going to do a long monster show. Our show tomorrow is going to be stressful. Our show tomorrow is going to wear us out. Our show, t- our show tomorrow is going to be one like never done before. 2 p.m. to 2.45. <laughs> it's the shortest show. Never been done before in radio. Never. Hey, you know what? And I'll tell you right now. God is my witness. I hate days like that. I hate days where we get cut short a minute, let alone a couple hours. But... The Aviators were supposed to play this evening. The game got postponed. It's crazy weather going on, including here in Vegas with the with the wind and everything. 
so their game got postponed, so they're doing a doubleheader tomorrow. So that's the reason why our uh, show is going to be cut short. So uh, we'll give the Aviators that. They'll get their doubleheader underway and uh, handle have two seven-inning games right here. And uh, the Aviator season's underway. I'm excited to get out to the ballpark. We're going to have a couple days where we actually do our show live from uh, the ballpark there in, uh, you know, the Las Vegas ballpark. Great place, man. Great location. They don't have a what's – the, uh, what's the word again? A feral cat problem? Yeah, they don't have a feral cat problem like the Coliseum. I hate, I, I hate talking about the Coliseum because I feel like I'm piling up on them, and I'm really not. But Mayor Libby Schaff, she started all this mess. So now I, I get a chance to fire back whenever I want. She was the reason for all this. Coming up at the top of the hour, we're going to get into the NFL news and notes of the day. Just a few notes that I want to get to. Plus, I want to hear from you throughout the course of the show. We're going to go another hour, hour long, hour strong as we're going up to 5 p.m. Cover 3 will kick us off. Then we'll have Eric Galco, draft prospect. Uh, he was the director of, pro, pro pers- or director of personnel excuse me, at the Shrine Bowl when it was here at the, at the Legion Stadium. He joined us before. He'll join us at 4.30. So we have an action-packed last hour of the show live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. It sounds so sweet. So sweet. Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. It's greatness. It's Radio Nation Radio 920.